VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Qatar 2022. Today, we preview the World Cup final between France and Argentina. Will Lionel Messi hand the baton over to Kylian Mbappe? Which team is the superior squad? And does Messi need to win this tournament to cement his status as the greatest? We'll reflect on what back-to-back World Cup titles could mean to France. And of course, how will the match go? All that and more on this episode of The Game. Hello, welcome again to the game podcast as the World Cup draws to a close very, very soon. I wonder what it's been like for you guys. We'll, we'll I think, on um, after the final, reflect on the tournament as a whole. Um, I'm Hugh Wisencroft. I'm alongside Alison Rudd, Gregor Robertson. And for the first part of the podcast, Jonathan Northcroft, who joins us from Doha uh, ahead of the World Cup final. And it's a mouth-watering clash between France and Argentina this weekend as the French go for back-to-back World Cup titles. Lionel Messi and the big subplot there, of course, is him. Uh, One of the greatest we've ever seen, possibly winning a World Cup. And it should be a fantastic game, which I think many people are are looking forward to. We'll talk about whether it's a passing of the torch moment for Messi to Mbappe. We'll talk about how good these two teams are as well and how we think the match will go of course but Jonathan as you're with us for the first part of the podcast I I do want to start with you and that big question of whether Messi will pass the baton to Mbappe this weekend Uh, and what that subplot means because it has been a World Cup of big figures icons in the game many of them felt like you know a one-man team with their nations if you like maybe more so than any other world cup you know you had Ronaldo with Portugal and the focus on him and Modric with Croatia or Lewandowski at Poland for example and then of course these two in this match at the weekend who have been the leading lights for their nations so far do you see the world cup and this match in, in the context of those big figures how many others see it well, it has been about the stars and it's come down to specifically the stars that, that Qatar wanted it to be about, i.e. the two of the three, the trinity of huge players that, that are at Paris Saint-Germain who Qatari owned. And for it to be messy against Mbappe is is pretty much the script that, uh, that, 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 that Qatar would have written for this final. Of course, it's impossible to get away from those two figures and especially Messi when we're talking about this World Cup final I think it does actually hinge on what he does in the game what how France can control that or how Argentina can can get Messi um, or can rather structure themselves around Messi like they've been doing enough to give him those chances to create those those moments uh, I think what's certain is he will bring his A game because he's been doing that the whole tournament and there's no question in my mind that um, he, through his greatness and his mentality, will bring a brilliant performance at the World Cup final. But of course, there's so many other good players on the pitch. 
you know, we've got to think about Griezmann. We've got to think about about Varane and, and how, how how that French defence has worked so well. Chouameni in their midfield, who's been brilliant. Giroud, who's 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 a different threat to, to what Argentina faced. Dembele, who has his moments, and then you know the Argent- Argentina. I think we should go. We've gone from saying they're a one-man team to thinking, well, actually, Enzo Fernandez is pretty good. Julian Alvarez is is fantastic. McAllister does such great sort of tactical work. Um, and Otamendi, I don't know what's happened to him, but he's a grown-up defender now. He's still got it all, you know, the, the hot-headedness in him, but what a tournament he's had. So it's about more than the stars, but I think it's right to say that it's going to hinge on what um, what Messi specifically does. And I notice Alex and I have both gone for exactly the same scoreline in our predictions um, in the Times today. And that is how I see it, that just France shading it, because I think Messi will do something great, but this French team is something special about the way they work out opponents, work out where their weak points are and, and pick their their own ways to damage them. And I, and I just feel there are enough weak spots in Argentina for, for France to to, to score a, a, a couple of goals, if not, well, 3-2, I think is what Alison and I have both gone for. So that would be me coming off the fence and seeing France. But I, I do think and I really hope it's going to be a close and brilliant game. When we think about Argentina, there has been, I think, a feeling that the players want to do it for Messi. His teammates want to do it for him. The fans are there, you know, basically chasing this World Cup, not just for themselves, but for him, that he needs it. Um, there was obviously a debate in Argentina over, you know, Maradona versus Messi. It has to be said, you know, there there can only be one God, if you like. Do you think he needs this to cement his legacy? I would have said yes before the tournament. I'd say no now. I think he's he couldn't have done more. We actually celebrate Maradona for his 1990 performances. And of course, Argentina didn't win the World Cup in 1990, but he carried them to the final. And I think Messi's um, created a similar feat here. So for me, there's no question. I don't think he needs it at all. I, I think actually the Messi-Maradona debate is almost one for Argentinians to have because I think they understand what he means to what both those figures mean their culture. But what you see here and you see at the games, you feel at the games is an embrace of Messi that perhaps wasn't there um, in 2018 when I attended Argentina games in 2014 and um, 2010. I've been to Argentina games at all those finals, but there's a there's a different dynamic between Messi and, and his people now. And I don't think he needs this World Cup final um, in any way to, to burnish his greatness. Uh, in your heart of hearts, I haven't read your predictions yet, so I can only apologise. How do you see the game going? I won't ask you for the scoreline, but how do you see the match panning out in terms of the tactical approach from from both teams? I think what we'll see from we know well we know what France do. You know they they I've, I've described them a couple of times as a surgical team, and 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 they find ways. Uh, and, and actually, James Gerbrandt's written a great piece about this today. It's not necessarily counterattacking. It's more. Um, sort of staying in a game and then like a boxer coming at you from different angles with different punches, just finding that, that way to, to create a chance and, and are pretty good at, at, at taking them. So I think we'll see France working on Argentina's weaknesses and, and possibly scoring first. And I think, I think we'll, we'll, we'll see Messi having a great performance and, and leading Argentina to a couple of goals. And yeah, I've gone for a high scoring game with uh, France just shading it 
But in all honesty, it could go the other way too. And finally, Jonathan, before you leave us, um, it won't be long before you're home. Everyone's been missing you. What are your reflections on your time spent in, in Qatar and Doha? I mean, there's two there's two experiences in, 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 in Qatar, two experiences of the World Cup. And I think you've, I might try and separate them because it's easier to, to talk about it that way. But in terms of the the, the, the football, it's been, I, find, I find it hugely enjoyable. Um, there's been very few boring games. I think there's been a kind of match well-matchedness between even the smaller teams and the bigger teams. We've seen shocks. We've seen great players. You know, our, our imaginations are fired by great players and, and World Cups are such a big part of football lore, football's kind of collective imagination. And, and because it's been a tournament where we've seen Messi write more chapters in his story and we've seen the last but beautiful embers of Modric and, and we've, we've had moments from Mbappe, we've had moments from the Brazilians, and, and and plenty other you know superb footballers. It's felt it's felt great from that point of view. There's been great moments. There's been there's been great goals. Um, the refereeing continues to sort of slightly amuse me. It's like watching the Scottish Premier League back in the 1980s. What you're allowed to to get away with, it would seem. But you know that's given it a unique um, flavour to the football as well. And then we've got an incredible final, which although Morocco being there would have been you know, one of the great stories um, in pure football terms, we've probably got the best matchup anyone could have hoped for. So football terms, yeah, it's been, it's been great. It's been successful. I think the Qatar experience has been, I think strange would be the best word to describe it right from the start, even a month or five weeks in. If you ask me, do I have a handle on the place? I would say, well, on the one hand, yeah, because it's quite easy to get to know Qatar. It's a whole load of shopping malls, concrete and, and no Qataris, lots of people from all over the world. But on the other hand, no, I still wouldn't presume to know what it's like for people who live here, for, for, for what the migrant workers experience, for what the LGBT community experience, all, all the stuff we've, we've written about. I'm, I don't think any of us, if we're being honest, have really been able to, to get our heads around that and, and get behind the surface. Even outlets that have been trying their best to report on those issues, I don't think of, of really being able to bring genuine stories and insights. But that actually doesn't reflect the reporting. I think that reflects the fact that this is still an authoritarian, closed-off society, and it's, it's actually quite hard to ever really get behind the veil. Russia was the same, by the way. Spent you know a month in Russia, and still didn't really know what real Russians felt because they couldn't tell you because they were scared of their government. Um, but it's a strange, it's a strange place. It's an odd place that's, you know, essentially everything about Qatar is built for a much bigger population than there is here. You see loads of buildings that you just can't imagine are full of people because you don't see people outside on the street. You see these enormous stadiums that, you know, after the tournament aren't necessarily going to be used. I've been cycling on the Olympic cycling track, which is the longest cycle track in, in, in the world. But most of the time, you don't see anyone on it. Everything's built on a grand scale without the actual people to fill it. And sometimes it feels like being on a film set. So it's been unique from that point of view. And, and finally, I mean, I've, the bit I've really loved is being in the Arab world. I think that's been a, a, a I've never spent this amount of time here. It's a rich culture. The food's incredible. There is a there is a sort of kindness and, and gentleness to a lot of people. Um, there's no alcohol. 
Um, there's incredible sights and sounds if you if you go to the souks or even actually in Al Sad where we're staying. There's um, a kind of downtown area that's. To, I mean, every shop's either a mobile phone shop, a barber, or a kebab shop, and it's it's really sort of thronging with with people. So that that part of this experience has been incredible, and I've given you just a very sort of panoramic answer, I suppose, because I I just think the how is Qatar is an art is a question that we'll be trying to answer really we'll be sitting at home in, in six months time thinking what was that place all about and that's that's probably the best way to explain it okay jonathan northcroft um thank you very much enjoy the game and uh, look forward to having you back appreciate you joining us today thanks guys have a good show thank you Okay then, Alison, Gregor, um, let's go back to that original question I asked Johnny, shall we, about Messi possibly passing the torch to Mbappe. Is that a subplot that is just concocted by us, the, the journalists and the media, the fans? Or do you think, you know, there's a reality to it, something tangible in terms of our emotions in football and where it carries us, that we feel now, you know, Mbappe must step out of the shadow of the likes of Ronaldo and Messi. The older they get, the more that they maybe move to Miami in the MLS or move to Al Nasir in, in Saudi Arabia. You know, is it now his time to dominate world football? Do, do, you, do you feel that or not, Gregor? Strange, I actually, I think I said this earlier in the tournament, I, I already felt that the baton had been passed. And then Messi reminded us all of what he's capable of and still capable of. So I, yeah, I, I kind of feel that that conversation has almost has almost been had. It's Mbappe is the best player on the planet for me. Messi, you know, the the debate is even bigger than that. It's whether he's the best player who's ever been on the planet, <laughs> and and he's reminding us why that why he's got that you know the conversation is of that scale rather than just the here and now, because he has rolled back the years, and as we said after the the semi final, some of his some of his play in the second half, in particular, the way he's the little kind of changes of pace, where he drifts into pockets and picks up the ball and was just like almost impossible to mark at times. And the kind of crowning moment was the 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 run and the build up for the third goal. It was just like it's just been such a joy and such a surprise, to be brutally honest, for me, to see him, you know, attain those levels again. Because he hasn't, and I know he's had a good season for PSG, and people are saying that he's, you know, he's in good form coming into the, into the World Cup. But you know, again, it's hard to measure that against, you know, playing for PSG and in, in Liga. For me, it's just been an absolute joy because it's been unexpected. I I didn't really buy into. It. I knew I knew that this was going to be a kind of well, I believed it was going to be an obdurate, difficult, very hard, difficult to beat Argentina team, and that yes, Messi would be relied upon to be someone who creates but they you know I think they what did they come into the tournament on 35 games without losing and then after the shock of the opening game you thought this could all come crumbling down but he has almost single-handedly dragged his team to the final and the question now is whether he can drag them to victory and that would just it would underline his his kind of legacy I believe that he's not you know, I'm with Johnny. I don't think he has anything to prove. But when you look back at the history books, seeing him lifting the World Cup with his hands on that trophy is going to just underline his his, uh, his greatness. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. 
I did wonder if Johnny was going to go down a conspiracy theory path when he mentioned PSG and the final that Qatar wanted, especially given that the Moroccan FA have um, made official complaints about the refereeing in their semi-final. Suddenly it all feels a bit too convenient. And I don't really like narratives like this because it's a team sport and I get slightly uh, I don't know if bored's the right word, but I, I, I get frustrated by it being about baton changing hands or legacy about individuals. I think the role that Mbappé plays for France and that Messi plays for Argentina are so very different that in some respects, I, I don't even see them as comparable footballers, really. They're both excellent, but they're so very different there's certainly not a void filled. Say, you know, this is the peak of Messi's career and we don't see too much of him from now on, which I don't think is true because he looks incredibly fit. He could go on for another another, another two or three years maybe. But um, I just don't feel that, say, say it was the goodbye to Messi, I don't think, oh, we'd all swivel our heads and gaze at Mbappe and think that's that's okay then. I just don't. I don't I don't regard them as comparable at all. They're different types of footballer. And maybe that's saying a lot about the evolution of football because Mbappe took our breath away with it. It's all about his pace when he broke onto the scene, sort of controlled pace and that sort of exuberance of youth and nervelessness. And with Messi, it's about maturity and his brain. And as Gregor said, the way he's, finally found a way to integrate into his national team where before the weight of his genius seemed to weigh them down rather than buoy them up. So I personally, I'm not seeing it in terms of batons and two individuals at all. I think Mbappe has been very useful tactically for France because it's made the opposition obsess about him. But I don't, so far, I don't feel they've got to the final because Mbappe has been this incredible shining light, impossible to stop. He's had his moments, but I do, I do, I do feel the beauty of France has been their collective, rather than sort of gawping at one individual's brilliance. So, I, I really couldn't care less if the, the baton changed. To be honest. Okay. All right. I'm glad I asked the question then. In that case, uh, let's move swiftly on uh, and talk about France. Let's talk about France. I want to I want to do the two teams individually. I know it's hard to um, not separate what how you think the game might go or, you know, pitting what you think about France against Argentina as you answer these questions. But I do want, if you like, a kind of analysis on what we've seen from France so far at this World Cup. Uh, they began with a 4-1 win over Australia in the group stage. They then beat Denmark two goals to one. They lost to Tunisia by a goal to nil with a much-changed team. Came past Poland in the round of 16, 3-1. Of course, beat England by two goals to one and then had that 2-0 victory over Morocco in the semi-finals. What did we learn about this France team at this tournament? Pros and cons, if you like, of the French team from what you've seen. Gregor? We learned, first and foremost, that they are incredibly efficient. Johnny referenced that piece that James Gearbrandt's written in the, in the Times today, and it was, I think he mentioned the word game state. It's like, depending on, on the kind of dynamics of the game, and often 
depending on whether they've taken the lead or not, they shift their their style of play basically and their approach to the play to, to the game. And they're willing to soak up pressure. They're willing to kind of to back themselves to be to be able to absorb that pressure and still be a threat going forward on the counter attack. But like having said all that, they are like absolutely not without flaws. They've been rocked heavily by Denmark. When Denmark equalised, they could quite easily have gone behind against Denmark. Poland had their spells. England, we all know about. It could have been very different. And Morocco, again, we have to say we're, we're the better team for large parts of the game. But it's just no coincidence that they always find they always find a way to to absorb that pressure. And even if it looks like you're you know they're having the odd stroke of fortune, good fortune or luck. Doing it on such a consistent basis basis is not is not luck. Alison's saying that it's not all, all about Mbappe. I think that Mbappe has terrified most of the most of their opponents in this in this tournament so far. He's made them alter their shape sometimes. He's made them try and man mark them and restrict their, themselves going forward down the right hand side of their team, almost their entire right hand side often. And he's had hugely decisive moments in games as well. I mean, even against. Against Australia, when they after they'd gone behind, he, it was his blistering play in the in the for the remainder of that first half that got them back into the game. So, as much as we we talk about France being this nation that has made it to now three major major tournament finals in quick succession, being a winning machine, they're absolutely not without huge flaws. That's what makes it such a fascinating final. You have two talisman and two teams around them that have have flaws, absolutely have big flaws. And it's kind of the most fascinating thing is going to be to see who, who can exploit them. For me, I think it's going to be France who come out at top because I just think that, that their ability, if they go ahead, which I think they, they're capable of doing, they can play in kind of fits and spurts. If they go ahead, they're, able, they're capable of, of absorbing pressure and then striking on the counter-attack. And I think that's going to be that's going to make ultimately them come out on top. Alison, what's your analysis of France? Um, just human we, if you will. I know my questions are are obviously beneath you, but 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 please do try. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, what I'm most impressed by, I'm really impressed by, is their mentality because they they've been winning games where they the, the opposition fans have outnumbered them. I mean, obviously, most significantly against Morocco, there's that constant whistling when they're in possession, which wasn't that much of the time, really. But they don't t- to survive that. In fact, they do more than survive it. I feel they relish it, that sense of our legacy, our track record, what we've achieved. You know, we are the holders. And yet, when a, a hostile stadium, they almost relished the sort of dissonance of that. So, and that is the reason, the main reason I also am going for France to win the final because I just feel there's more emotion in the Argentina camp and they've looked more wobbly more often. And I agree with Gregor completely. There have been moments through this tournament where you felt, but for this, but for that, it could have gone a very different way. But the fact that it didn't and the fact that they didn't, they must have known that was happening and they didn't care. They didn't let it bother them. They didn't panic. They've, 
they've just been completely drenched in self-confidence, I feel, and yet managed for that to not be arrogant or complacent. They believe they are the best in the world and they play like it. And it also matters in that they don't care how they look. So there are, you know, for large periods of that semi-final, you know, who was who was playing the more fun football, the more attractive football? It was Morocco, the, the, the underdogs by quite some distance. But France didn't feel this obligation. I think that's the key to them winning games is they're so pragmatic that they're prepared for that pragmatism to lead to any outcome. So if it means that they defend deep and don't try too much for a long period and look boring, uh, you know, not, not enticing, not something that brings in a neutral to say, oh, I just love the way fans play. They don't, they don't, they don't mind. They have this, this almost robotic in a way that they will do what it takes. And then when they do burst into life and you do have the pace of Mbappé, I wasn't saying Mbappé wasn't useful. I'm saying he's very useful, as Gogol was highlighting, in that he, he does make the opposition panic a lot. And sometimes, you know, that's all he needs. To, he just needs to be there to to panic them and then just bide his time. And their timing it is phenomenal. They seem to have this sixth sense of the right moment for a counter. Because sometimes I've watched them play and I've thought, well, why haven't they why haven't they gone full throttle there? You know, the space, why haven't they gone into it? And clearly they've through training, they've worked out that to have done it at that point might have made them vulnerable, so they haven't. They choose their moments to cut through the the opposition with sort of mathematical and logic. And it's just really impressive. It's not lovable, really. So I don't know. Do, I mean, part of me does admire it and I do enjoy it watching it for that reason. Um, I like the way it's like a jigsaw puzzle and it all fits together so well. But um, yeah, they're not, they don't, the passion they've, we've seen them show when the game's over, you don't feel it when they're watching it. It, it, is, it is quite grown up and clinical, but that's what comes with, you know, having been so successful for so long and they probably feel they found a formula. You know, the important players from four years ago are still there and weirdly, even for the older ones, are better. So, yeah, it's uh, in terms of mentality and being clinical, I think I think they've got it in the bag, really. It's also the 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 variance in the play, as we've spoken about the threat and the counter. But how, how many crosses have we seen them just, you know, bombard the box with? When you've got Olivier Giroud in your team and two blistering quick attackers, and Griezmann who can take up little pockets, you know, in the inside left or right channels and whip really dangerous balls into the box with both feet. Why not do it? <laughs> and they do it. You know that that was that's that. Particularly in the group stage, that's that was the thing that leapt out at me. It's just it's well, they do not need a second invitation to hoist the ball into the box. Rabiot was header, in fact, against uh, Australia. You know, he's another tall, commanding, if fit and healthy. You know, he he's he's the one who makes those kind of late runs into the box as well. But as I said, then you've got the the threat and the counter. There are moments too when they can just take a breath and keep the ball, keep possession, and there are moments where they're happy just not to have it. So it really is. A kind of pragmatism, and as Alison says, a uh, you know completely unflustered by aesthetics, <laughs> uh, 
and ultimately that might well take them all away. I'm going to ask you the same question about Argentina before I maybe go in, into how the two sides might combine, if you like. How good are they? Because there's been complaints about Argentina and their style of play. And for me, it's been similar to France in that it, it has been a very sensible style to play to progress through the competition. It hasn't really hinged on the first goal in the way that it has for the for the French. It's more hinged on, if you like, Argentina's first goal than the first goal in the game because they then start to play. They usually start to play after they score a goal, whether they're already one behind or not at that point in time. But um, yeah, it does feel to me like there's an emotional element with Argentina that there, there is a release, there is a freedom that comes after they get on the score sheet and they, they, they are suddenly a happier, more energetic, uh, more threatening side. And, and until that point, I think there is a bit of a fear. And I spoke about it earlier in the competition, you know, this need to win the World Cup for Messi, I felt was did weigh on the team slightly, the coach as well, um, as well as, as his teammates, because they're always gravitating towards him. You know, at the end of the game, when they've won a match, it is every player wants to go and have a hug with Messi. You know, that's the way that it, it feels. So, I, 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 yeah, I guess the question's the same. How good are Argentina and how good have they been so far in this competition? Let me just go through their matches at the tournament so far. They obviously lost to Saudi Arabia in that huge shock in their opening match. They beat Mexico by two goals to nil and then Poland by two goals to nil to finish their group. In the round of 16, they beat Australia by two goals to one. They then, of course, were two up against the Netherlands before being brought back to two all, taking that one right down to the wire and penalties and then a fairly comfortable victory in the end, 3-0 over Croatia in the semi-finals. So what did we learn about Argentina on this run? Alison? The thing I feel I noticed, but I haven't um, done a computer analysis, is that as the um, tournaments progressed, I feel they've stopped doing the annoying thing is where you see every single player, the first thought they have is, can I pass the ball to Messi? I've got to find Messi. It's like an obsession. I don't mean an emotional obsession. I just mean a tactical obsession on the pitch. And you could, you, you know, you can, you could commentate on an Argentina performance in that, in that way. You can, you could have, you can name anyone on the team and get in their head, and they're thinking, "Where is he? Where is he? <laughs> Has he dropped deep to get the ball off me? Can I find him? Can I find him?" But as the tournaments progressed. I feel maybe I can't speak for them, but it feels looking at them that that isn't quite the obsession. They are prepared to wait for the correct moment to do that or to take their lead from Messi before they try and find him, regardless of what the patterns on the pitch are. So I think that is something that is commendable, that they've looked more like a balanced team rather than a one-man show as it has progressed. But you, I mean, it is, you do often see within games, two sides to the personality, the sort of, they look a bit rushed, too too emotional perhaps. I find it very hard to work out how to call them style-wise. They, they seem to be almost things. So they're not, they don't defend deep, but they don't defend high up either. They don't press a lot, sometimes they do. They sometimes look like a counter-attacking team. Sometimes they look like a team that are very comfortable in possession. So they're, but but where I think, in comparison to the French, 
whereas the French change the way they play, you feel like that's done a logical, pre, almost pre-planned way. Uh, with Argentina, it's more done with the gut and how a game is progressing and how they feel about it within themselves. So it's more organic, but so therefore it's not so perfect. But I would, I would be interested to know if either of you could find a label for them in terms of the style of football they play, because I think they play all styles all the time. I don't know if there's like some kind of formation that you can shoehorn the word Messi into. Yeah, like, I don't know, four four one Messi. Like I don't know. It's just look. That's what. That's the reality of it. We're, I understand that now the Argentina in the final, people are trying to find other reasons for their place in the final, essentially. And as I've said, Julian Alvarez's emergence and play and goals have been crucial. And as a kind of foil for Messi, he's been outstanding. Otherwise, I just I feel this is quite an average team. And I know as we're talking here about players who play in the best leagues in Europe, mostly. But still, I mean, I've looked, you know, Rodrigo with the Paul. Some people say he puts in the work. I've, you know, I read read what other people's views are about this, and some people think he puts in the work that kind of provides the foundation for Messi. But that, all, that's all very well. But he's not been able to string many passes together. I think he's been really poor for a lot of the tournament. McAllister, we know, is a good player at Brighton, but do we think in kind of great Argentina teams that he would be in the starting eleven all the time? As I said, he doesn't seem to. He's not. Clearly, there's been some traumas in this tournament, and when I mean, you went through all those games, Hugh, I mean, I, I, I'm struggling to think of one and one they really played well in until, until the semi-final, and a lot of that was again to do to because of Messi. They lost against the Saudis. They were deeply unimpressive against Mexico. They needed a moment of kind of inspiration again from Messi. Poland, again, they were deeply unimpressive. Australia. They deserve to win, but Australia could quite easily have nicked, nicked an equaliser at the end, and they had their moments and they rocked them, uh, and it nearly came crashing down against the Netherlands. So, you know, we're talking about fine margins in both nations getting to the final, but in Argentina's uh, case, it's it's been because of one man, and I, I don't think we should apologise for for saying that. It's it's the truth. The, and I think they've accepted it the more they've gone into the tournament. And as Alison said, that's not necessarily about just feeding them the ball all the time. It's just about making sure you've got a platform and that you stay in games and that you give him an opportunity to win the game for you. I really feel that that's what they all know is their role now. It might well work. It's just going to be whether Messi can be can produce those moments again in the final or not, or whether France can shackle him. I personally think it's pretty much that simple. I also I also look at their uh, Argentina's defence. They've made a lot of changes. Now they've settled in Otamendi and Romero, but the full-backs are going to have a torrid time, I think, against Mbappé and Dembele. Uh, and I don't know whether they're going to try and think of something to, to combat that, whether there's... You know, one of the midfielders is going to have to shift over or set a little, play a little bit deeper or you know, just provide a bit of extra cover. Paredes came in, as I said, uh, after the semi-final for his first start since the Saudi Arabia defeat, which is really odd. But And then he was withdrawn after about an hour. I thought he played quite well, and I think he's someone who, you know, that is kind of his bread and butter. He's He's got that, that grit and he can read the game. So I think he might play. But I think that's going to be a major 
worry for uh, for Argentina. I mean, look, it has been for every team, but as we said, France's last two opponents, uh, Mbappe's played against Hakimi and Kyle Walker, who are two of the best right-backs, the quickest right-backs in the world, and Molina is not in any way on that, that level. So, look, ultimately, it's going to be a platform for the maestro, and it might work. It might work again. I do think you can put both sides uh, into boxing terms. Um, both world champions, if you like, in terms of their approach. Um, I think France are more like Floyd Mayweather. Um, you know, an element of um, no real physical, aggressive knockout, but, um, you know, point scorers round by round and uh, make it very difficult for you to land a blow. Um, and then you're looking at Argentina, who are more attritional, uh, always coming forward, at taking lots of blows on the way, but ultimately um, they might get that knockout punch through Messi. So maybe an Arturo Gatti, I don't know. But um, I think ultimately it's going to be a game that that is about the tide, the ebb and flow, um, because both teams, for me, are happy to absorb pressure certainly happy to absorb pressure the first goal the first half an hour I think is where this game will be won and lost essentially um if a side gets themselves a goal in front I think they'll be happy to go through a period of again absorbing pressure feeling out what the other side truly has maybe uh, getting a second on the counter-attack and if either side can go two in front I think the game might be be won at that point in time because I think both will be happy um, to defend a little bit deeper, like I say, to as the other side maybe piles forward to try and get back on terms, um, hit you on the break. Um, and they, they've got more than enough speed and more than enough quality to play the killer ball and to break away down the end of the pitch and score what would certainly be a game over third. So I think the first half an hour of the game will not be one where either side sort of decides to feel their way into it and we get a kind of stodgy nil-nil. I think both sides will know if we can get our nose in front, everything that tactically plays into our hands and we can maybe control the game without the ball, which I think both sides can do. I just, uh, I, I worry for the centre-backs of both teams. And obviously if both goalkeepers who have a rick in them, it seems, um, although one has performed better than the other at this tournament, you know, we, we, we've seen in, in Hugo Lloris's career that he has... Um, you know, he does have that moment in him of, of madness. And Emmy Martinez has shown that he has a, a moment of poor goalkeeping in him, as far as I'm concerned. And and neither will want that to happen, obviously, on, on the day. But who knows? Because I think, especially Upper Meccano um, of France, very erratic defending. He, he obviously was replaced by Canate in the last game, who I think did a good job. And, and if he starts the final, I think they, they've got a good defender there. But yeah, I think if you get a moment from uh, Otamendi, or Romero, love to dive in. Um, I don't know if Lissandro Martinez will play on, on the left or Taliafico will, will come in on the left or Acuna. But again, they like to show that aggression, Argentina. It might boil down to the refereeing because um, if one of those moments, if an Mbappe just gets a toe in or Dembele just gets a toe in before and you've lunged in off your feet, which Argentina seem to want to do a lot of this tournament, again, to maybe lay down a marker to show that they're that aggressive team that bites into challenges. But ultimately, if you're a second late, you're on a yellow card. You know, that again changes the dynamic of how they can defend in this game. And I think it will come down to that. So like I say, if you go for it in the first half an hour and you get those decisions on your side, the game could certainly go in your favour. Um, and I think that's the most intriguing thing. I'd love for it to be a high-scoring, incredible game. It was 4-3. 
uh, when they met at the last World Cup. I think that was the round of 16. I don't feel like we'll get that again this time around, to be perfectly honest. It might be another 2-0, which both sides have been comfortable with uh, in this tournament. But um, yeah, I, I sometimes wonder about Argentina, Gregor, whether they actually have a superior supporting cast for Messi than France have for Mbappe. I think the front four, excellent for France. Um, and the, the you know the rest of the team is obviously not bad. But actually, I know you mentioned the quality of people like McAllister, um, who I think he's been, he's had a good tournament. Like it doesn't really matter that he plays for Brighton or wouldn't get in previous teams. I think he's actually been one of the better players in terms of the, if you like the meaning in terms of sort of the extra tenacity, the extra bite, I think the togetherness, I, I would almost go with leaning towards Argentina in that regard so far in this competition maybe because of what I've seen in terms of, you know, the, the Netherlands and the aggression and, the, you know, that went into that. Even the Croatia game, um, I just think they just added an extra 10 or 15% in terms of the non-tangible, in terms of the football talent. They just brought a little bit extra. And I didn't really think France, maybe they didn't need to. I, I don't think France did, but, you're you know, maybe they didn't need to. Do you think, Alison, that one squad here is clearly better than the other in terms of quality or anything mysterious if there hadn't been that uh, opening game wobble against Saudi Arabia I think our, the whole discussion about Argentina might be different but the fact is it did happen I'm sort of surprised you sound to me like you you're you're edging towards thinking that Argentina are the superior squad I I don't see it like that at all I think anyone in the France team, would be someone that would be coveted by biggest clubs amongst the biggest clubs because it's not just about taking you know comparing position with position it's about what how they fit into the team what they're prepared to do and their work rate and demeanor and i just think I just think there are more holes in Argentina than there are in the France. I just feel France have more, like if you play like a board game, like something like Risk and you have to shove pieces around the board, I just feel Deschamps has more more valuable assets in his squad than there are in the Argentina squad. If it becomes a war, who would you rather have on your side? Because I feel like Argentina could make it that kind of game. And if so, well, historically, historically, you'd go with Argentina because they have the history <laughs> of playing like that. But I don't think, I don't. If you take, if you strip away history, I think in terms of what we've seen at this World Cup, I I would back France in a war because they're not emotional. You can't win wars by being emotional, and you can't win think, wars by being obsessed with one general. I think as well that the thing you said about them both being content absorbing pressure I think just France looks far more comfortable doing so I think it's always a bit more by the skin of the teeth with Argentina and as you say it can be almost reckless at times too it just felt a little bit more on a knife edge whenever Argentina have, have had to do that whereas France there just seems to be a lot of look as I said they're, they've been rocked and they've come close to conceding goals when they haven't but there just does seem, does seem a bit more control about them and sort of I don't know measured sort of assurance 
And part of, maybe that does boil down to emotion. And France are, are, they know what they are. They know that they, they're serial winners now, or they're 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 very close to to becoming so. Whereas Argentina, you get the impression this feels like, you know, they're they're striving to reach their destiny, and you know, this is a once in a lifetime shot because after this this one's over, they've lost the the greatest player, one of the greatest players of all time, and what comes next? So this is a kind of I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. I think emotion will play a big part in this. But they'll both try and kind of see themselves into the game and be cautious and, as you say, try and sort of absorb pressure, not take risks. But and it might just be something. It might be a penalty. It might be a, you know, a mistake. It might be something that just completely shifts the di- dimensions and means that one or the other team has to has to do something. Has to come out and. An attack, and that you know, I hope that comes early personally because otherwise we could see quite an edgy game. And you know, I went for a two-nil. I think, I think it play very much like Morocco, France, uh, France, France's win against Morocco. I think they'll score early, or there's a good chance they'll score early because they have those bursts, they have those kind of, they have the pace and the the ability to attack teams in different ways. Maybe across into the box, it might be a a seer and run by Mbappe, you know, I think just think they have that little bit of ability whereas Argentina are, are reliant upon Messi. So if and if France take the lead, they'll soak it up, they'll soak it up, and then they might score a second in the second half. That that's the way I've if you're if you have to choose, that's the way I saw the I see the game going. But obviously this is a World Cup final and pretty much anything can happen. But talking of the team's personalities and emotion, I'm wondering how significant the way the Argentina players responded to the Dutch tactics. Basically, they said, you know, you weren't playing real football, lot hoof, you know, big men, long balls. And they got a bit, I don't know, sniffy about it. But the fact that they said that publicly implies to me that they've, there is that element of it matters to them that they play a certain way, that they're not... They're, they're almost they're almost dissing pragmatism in football, and that's what they're going to be up against in the final. Or a team that would actually hoof it long if they felt it was the right thing to do, and that that that, that they might be clinging to we want to win the final in a certain way by a mesmeric run by Messi leading to a, a tap in. That, that might you know what what does that their reaction to the Dutch tactics. I found that really fascinating because if you'd listened to the players or read the reports of what they said, they sounded like the team that had lost. They were so rattled by a complete switch in tactic that they didn't, they just didn't like it. And that to me speaks of them being over, over emotional and reacting to Things that you know, if you if you're if you're a manager, you you constantly tell your players to look at, you know, control the controllables. Think about yourselves. Don't don't get bogged down with, you know, narrative elsewhere. But that's what even though they won, even though Argentina won, they were cross. They were cross about how that game unfolded and how what looked like a simple victory was really really put in jeopardy by tactics they didn't approve of. I mean, where does that come from? That that to me speaks of a slight instability of temperament, really. I absolutely think that 
this is an, an emotional Argentina team. Um, it has been from from the opening game. I think it would have been anyway, but the opening game heightened it. It was almost a national disaster. And everything we've seen since has been emotional. It's been caught up in the, in the emotion of, of trying to fulfil something for, for Lionel Messi, but also caught up in the emotion of what what they have to do to basically to make that happen. And I think they've, they're probably not playing the type of football that they envisaged doing so when they arrived at the tournament. It's, it's probably more reactive, more pragmatic, more focused on defensive resolve and, and providing providing a platform when they'd come into this into the tournament having not lost in 35 games, having wiped the floor with people, having won the Copa America, and suddenly they're beaten by Saudi Arabia. And as you said in the last episode, Hugh, they're playing tournament knockout football in every single game since. And I don't think they're playing in the way that they expected to be playing. So undoubtedly, they're going to, they're going to be rocked by <laughs> by playing playing against a, a a Dutch team who 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 played pretty kind of simple back to front football for periods of the game. And I, I, I'm not sure that's going to be a, specifically an issue against France. I think France put a lot across in the box, but they'll be perfectly aware of that. But undoubtedly, this is a team in a heightened kind of state of emotion and. Ultimately, it's whether that's going to take them over the line, or whether it's going to be kind of prove a bit to be prove to be a bit too much for them, and that's going to, what's going to be fascinating to watch. I still think it's the World Cup final, so I'm I'm, I'm predicting probably a one-all, go to penalties, maybe maybe a France goal on the break in extra time, but um, I can't I can't call it. I mean, it's one of those. I th- I actually think they are similar teams. You know, in that they're they're comfortable with the other team having the ball when they have it. They don't play like Brazil in 1970. It's not always free flowing moves. Um, they're very good at the percentages in international football. The things that so many international coaches tell you make a difference. That might be set pieces. Um, clearly, they can win penalties um, as well. Um, and they both have that that talismanic player who can create a moment of magic and um, to, to win you the game. And I do think it's very evenly matched. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. What would it mean for Didier Deschamps as a manager? What would it mean for France? What does it mean for football if they can retain the World Cup? Alison? Well, I mean, Deschamps is, well, he's, I think he's already hugely admired and it would just increase that sense of, well, he's cracked it, hasn't he? Because a lot of the um, dissection of England and Southgate boiled down to, you know, Southgate, great bloke, done a lot for team morale, but when it comes to that ruthlessness in game and knowing how to take people out, switch things around, just 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 tactically when it when the heat is on, Deschamps seems to make the right decisions. And when you it's in in a sense you could say it's all about Deschamps because you've got a collection of very different 
players with a backstory of division. You know, a lot, a lot of France's campaigns in the past have been, should have been fantastic and were ruined by all sorts of infighting and politics and so on. But he's, he's managed to make a team that are often not great to watch and are very pragmatic and functional, but they, 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 they are a team and they um, are united. And I don't know, uh, I don't know if he's got lucky with who's been injured, Benzema, but maybe Benzema not being there has helped. I don't know, because it's meant Giroud's there and Giroud feels grateful to be there rather than sniffy about being a, a backup striker. I Maybe that got lucky, but I, I do feel he's, Deschamps would have been able to handle that perfectly fine. Um, so yeah, it would be, I, I think, but I, I, I equally think if somehow Argentina get over the line, I don't think that would make Deschamps' um, legacy diminish really. He's, he's done, he's done a fantastic job. And what does it mean about, let's say about football? Well, sadly, it means that football's a business and you have to plot it properly and you have to put good sense before beauty often. Um, you know, that a big nation will, with a, you know, with a great pool of talent will probably be the one that wins it. And yeah, I mean, they're both big nations, aren't they, in the final? They're not, they're not, neither of them you would call them underdogs. They were, they were, when everyone had to list their favourites to win, a lot of people were, you know, juggling with, it could be Argentina, it could be France. So it, ultimately it's about, uh, tournament knowledge experience so yeah it doesn't it, it doesn't say it i suppose it doesn't say a lot about romance if france win it but it says a lot about having the right person in charge and working on the right things and uh sort of model you'd probably study if you were a young manager now with ambition you'd want to know exactly what deschamps did behind the scenes and what he does to prepare i'm not sure it would be an easy model to to replicate though what is Almost certain, and uh, David Walsh written about this in the Times today, is that France have the best and biggest pool of talent in world football. I mean, some you could say. I think I think Brazil are the only country with more, who can produce more professional footballers. But we're talking about players in the best leagues in Europe. France, you know, how many players are they missing as well? I saw some some really interesting statistics as well. France is the birthplace of 59 players at the World Cup. So only 37% of the players born in France playing at the World Cup are playing on the French team. So they're also, France has heavily populated a lot of other teams. <laughs> and clearly this is a complex, that's a kind of, there's complex reasons for that. And, you know, France's team is largely made up of, of the children of immigrants. I think Camavinga, David Walsh said in his piece, Camavinga was born to Congolese parents in a refugee camp in Angola. So, you know, it's a complex question. That's why I say it'd be, it would be difficult to replicate this because it's like a lot of different things. You know, they've got a fantastic academy at Clairefontaine. They've got fantastic academies associated to some of the biggest clubs in, in, in their country. But also, it's a kind of, it's a story of a bit of a, a melting pot, really. And undoubtedly, the result has been the the best pool of talent in in world football. So, you know, you look at, you you mentioned about um, Upamecano 
being injured and then in comes Konate and on the bench is William Saliba and not there through injury is Wesley Fofana. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's getting ridiculous. You're talking about, that's just one one part of the team and they lose Pogba and Kante and in comes Chiuameni who's been an absolute outstanding. Um, Fofana had a difficult time against Tunisia, played really well in the semi-final. Camavinga is still on the bench. Their, their pool of talent is, is unrivaled and Deschamps' legacy is already absolutely uh, certain. So this would just kind of, you know, it would add to it. Um, because, he, as Alison said, it's not been about trying to blow teams away or play the most you know, aesthetically pleasing football. It's been about playing winning football. And he knows how to do that. And we referenced his, his changes against Morocco towards the end in the second half, taking off Giroud and, and putting on Turam. That was that was a magnificent change. It completely shackled Hakimi down the right and gave them a bit more impetus and being able to play in behind. And that kind of that stopped Morocco in their tracks for the last fifteen minutes, really. And he's done that, those kind of things before. So although they're missing players, they you still look at their squad and think he's got he's got enough there to to change games if he has to, and he knows how to do it. So yeah, I think they're going to take some beating personally. So Gregor Robertson goes for a France 2-0. I do. That's right. Yes. Alison Rudd, was it a France 2-1? No, three. Uh, me and Johnny both went France 3, Argentina 2. 3-2. Okay, a high-scoring game. Apologies. And I'm going to go for the one-all draw. A messy free kick. Giroud header. France 3-1 on penalties. Okay, I'm predicting <laughs> it all the way to the end. <laughs> All in all, um, we will reflect on the World Cup when we speak to you uh, after this final. Um, that will be with you Sunday night into Monday morning. Um, but yeah, enjoy the weekend, third and fourth place playoff and the World Cup final. I actually had a dream last night, a football dream. It's been a while since we mentioned these on the podcast. I dreamt that Morocco won the World Cup last night and I was in the stadium watching it and they beat Switzerland. So that is a premonition for the future, quite clearly, <laughs> uh, rather than a, a, a dream of what should have happened in Qatar. Um, so who knows? That might be the next World Cup. Who knows? It might be sometime in my lifetime. I, I'll call it a premonition for now rather uh, than a dream. Let's hope it comes true. Anyway, uh, Alison Rudd, thank you very much. Gregor Robertson, thank you. And to Jonathan Northcroft as well. And to all of you for listening, certainly check out some of the great articles on the Times app right now. You can get that wherever you get your apps from. Uh, check it out online as well, thetimes.co.uk make sure you've got your notifications on you won't miss any of our episodes of the game we'll be back in domestic football before you know it Uh, and if you want to subscribe to the game it's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game we will see you on Sunday you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 